0: Also, I hated that woman. (laughs) I fucking hated, don't even bleep this. (laughs) (laughs) I, I feel like I just
1: talked to somebody who, like, went to a specialist about burping, and they were like, yeah, it's, like, actually, like, acid reflux, or... Or, like, throat cancer, or something like that. And I was like, oh my God, I should tell my friend Aaron.
2: Those are very different things.
1: <laughs> I know. I'm trying to remember who said it and what it was about. But. Hi, all you sexual deviants. <laughs> and sexual deviant wannabes. What's going on?
2: How are we? How Good.
1: are we? Yeah, how does how it feel we? to be 26? Oh my God. I've only got. I'm on my own health insurance now. And by that, I mean, I'm just not on my parents. <laughs> we love it. Yeah. I literally have not felt any different since I was like 23. Yeah. Like when I was, like, I remember when I turned 21 and like when I turned 20, I was like, whoa, these are like milestone ages. I feel whoa. like I like, hit it. And like, then the last like five, like four years, three years, whatever, I just been like. Eh. okay great anyway back, as as I was saying
2: now back to our regu- regularly scheduled programming yeah.
1: but I will say I did treat myself lovely this weekend I pretended that I didn't go to law school and just um, didn't do any work I mean yes Good. I did I, yes I did kind of like go a little ham the week before so that I was able to do that successfully and not be like dying this week so that was not fun but it was definitely worth it good yeah so i had a good recharge weekend which was like big needed
2: yeah big needed big needed
1: Uh uh-huh how are you doing
2: i'm fine i'm just really tired wow Uh, i don't know today was a very monday monday again but i i just worked all weekend Literally, that's all I did. Really? What kind of work did you do? Um, I did, I interviewed uh, a gay porn star for the OnlyFans documentary, which was really cool. Are they famous? Yeah, they were a cocky boys model. Or they still are, I guess.
1: Wow. I did, yeah. I don't want to make anybody upset, so I'm not going to... I mean this with as little shade as possible, but... Do we equate cocky boys model to fame? Um, I don't know. I would say no. How how <laughs> would you
2: define if a porn star is famous then?
1: Oh, I don't know. Um, so I definitely not. This individual am has
2: like a pretty big following, I think. Really? Yeah, like a okay. a very well known name. Wait, who was it? Tate Hansen. Tate Hansen.
1: Right, well, here's the thing. I don't look at cocky boys. You know, so I don't actually know any of them.
2: But regardless, <laughs> Tate Hansen had a very, very, very interesting um insight actually. I'd really? never really thought about like the the business side of the porn porn world, but it's um it's pretty interesting. I'm smelling a spin off documentary. Oh boy. No. <laughs> yeah. No, and a very, very nice person, so it was great. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I and don't think I I don't think I've ever met or spoken
1: with someone who's done porn. Not that you know that's of. True. It's kind of boring actually. actually. I feel I like kind it's kind of common myself.
2: to like know people who like have done a scene or two but like not really talked about it and like have never done it again. Really? Yeah. I mean, maybe that's just huh. I, don't know. I don't think that's just an LA thing, but <laughs> it, it, it might be.
1: But it might it might also not be.
2: (laughs) I don't know. If you've done more, let us know.
1: (laughs) Yeah, really. I'm like racking my brain to think if I I don't know. I don't think I know anybody with an OnlyFans. And I don't think sending news now and or well, obviously.
2: (laughs) Well, I just mean also like with the boom of it. I think I know a lot of people who started doing it throughout quarantine. Yeah, maybe. I think that's just I mean, a world I'm so, like,
1: not tuned into whatsoever. And, like, yeah. I think the people that I have been around... Like, this is more of a read on myself because I'm saying, like, the people that I have around me and that I know haven't gone into that, so that, like, A is, you know, like, what is that saying about the people that I surround myself with? Maybe they're a little You're boring. puritanical. Yeah, puritanical, puritanical, bo- boring bitch. Bullshit. But, um... <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, like, have, like heard of only fans like a lot more people getting into it on the fringe as if as like a concept but i don't actually know anybody who's done it so um if i am
2: forgetting about somebody please let me know yeah please let him know so i can talk to you and talk about your experience for a documentary
1: that, <laughs> that's true that is true what would how would you feel if you started dating someone and then you found out that they had an only fans
2: so that's an interesting topic and the first time i really thought about that actually was after we talked to gray um because uh-huh. i started i did an interview with one of my friends um and we had that conversation with gray plug for that episode um, talking about non-monogamy and polygamy and, you know, primary partners, non-primary partners, and just kind of, like, openness with your mm-hmm. relationships, kind of. Um, and I think... And also, like, the, the person, Tate, who I interviewed this weekend, has... is in, like, a very, very serious relationship, but still, you know, like, has sex with other people on camera for work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean ask me what, again once I get into a very serious relationship but True. <laughs> as of right now I feel like there's definitely a separation between like having your job be having sex versus like having sex for pleasure and I mean I'm not gonna say that I would like be happy if the person that I was dating was like I'm gonna go sleep with all these people but it's just my job it doesn't mean anything but I also totally understand how you can say, this is my job, I'm sleeping with people to make money, but it doesn't mean anything. That was a very convoluted way of saying that, but...
1: No, no, I think it makes sense. I mean, I think there is something real, and I think it might be getting talked about even more so now, maybe with, like, people starting to talk more positively about sex work and whatnot, that, you know, you really can separate sex from... Like, yeah, ro- from romance, if that's what you choose. So totally. I think, well, it's like the so- same. I,
2: I mean, I, I guess also I have kind of a, a different view on it because, after doing this project, I don't really consider OnlyFans that different at the end of the day from like being a YouTuber. Obviously, you're selling your body instead of like your personality or like the videos mm-hmm. that you're creating, but. I still kind of just see it as like, you know, a content creator and you're pleasing your audience. It's a different yeah. want and a different need, but it's not really at the end of the day. Like, and you, if you boil it down and just look at like the business transaction, it's not really that different from being like a freelance artist. <laughs> so that's super interesting.
1: Yeah. I would have never thought about that. Um, are there people with only, like, is OnlyFans pretty much only porn or do people have channels for like other things?
2: So here's the T, and and, <laughs> and you'll get more of this when you watch the documentary when it comes out. I, I promise this isn't one large, huge plug for this
1: documentary. These are genuine questions. <laughs> no,
2: but I mean, it's like it's true. Like these are all questions that I had too. So it's like all the things that I've I've learned like so much from doing this. But OnlyFans started in 2016, and when it was started, the website oh, it's, been says,
1: a, it's been around that long.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, all those, like, porn sites have been around. Those, like, pay-per-view porn sites have mm-hmm. been around for just about five years, four and a half years. But when they were started, it was started as just, like, a paywall content service. So OnlyFans says that they were aiming to, you know, have fitness influencers or, like, people who bake essentially make it, like, a Patreon. But mm-hmm. they also knew and I guarantee they knew this, that they will make money and it will turn towards sex and they will make a lot of money from it turning towards sex. So, um... They're trying to not have it have, like, be... They're trying to change the narrative right now of having it just be, like, a sex platform because... I don't know, I just... I... Probably because it's limiting? It's limiting and also, like, even talking to Tate, um... There are all these, like, rules about making money off of sex and, like, trading money for sex, and it's, like, not allowed by any banks, and it's not allowed by... Like, you can't transfer money that come from sex services to PayPal or to your bank or anything, and, like... That if they find out oh, and they whoa. can trace it to money coming from sex they can like reject it and they can like ban you from having a bank account and like weird things like that because they don't and they like take your money or something like he was saying that he had an experience where PayPal like took a very large sum of money from him because they traced it back to his website and found out that he was selling sex or something so yeah so I don't know there's a, there's a lot of a lot of stigma behind it but it's interesting that OnlyFans isn't really doing anything to help the stigma yeah that's shitty like it, it's fuck? not as a platform really doing anything to like normalize sex work even though now there's a rallying cry from everyone our age to be like normalize sex work but only fins is still yeah. being like we're not sex work so oh my god
1: i mean they yeah, could it's... really they could really be like a a culture changer if they yeah, they could be if they were supporting their artists and yeah.
2: their employees or their freelancers I mean, the least they could do is, like, try to make the site a little bit better. From everything I've heard, the site is, like, awful. Really? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So. Oh, God. I don't know.
1: Anyways. Well, it's so interesting. I mean, it's just a whole world I'm not plugged into that I just find so fascinating and that I'm excited. I'm happy that it's starting slowly but surely to, like get garner more respect Mm -hmm. because like you know yeah it's people's livelihoods it's what the way that some people choose to live their life and when everything is consensual and people are happy you should have the freedom to do that yeah absolutely and sex is normal yeah so i don't know
2: yeah period
1: yeah we just have such backwards views on sex in this country I mean that's a huge generalization obviously but
2: it's also like most of the world the re- the point of reference that always comes up is like the red light district in Amsterdam and people are like well like in Amsterdam but I cannot really think of that many other places maybe like the culture of the spas in Thailand or like the only other instance where I personally have like seen it mm-hmm. um, but I've never really like seen a culture where where sex work is like normalized and viewed positively.
1: Yeah, that's true. And if you do know of one, please let us know because I'm sure there are I'm sure there's some out there that we just don't know about, so we're just speaking way too generally right now. And we do want to oh, I'm not
2: I mean, these are just from my no, personal no, no, experiences. Coo- no, like what I've yeah. seen in person. Yeah. But I mean no, I, sure. I mean I catch myself saying like America's so backwards, but I really I mean, I don't think it's, like, normal in Canada. I don't think it's normal in, like, Central and South America. I mean, I'm not sure. Yeah. But no, I, I mean, not heard I think, anything about it.
1: Yeah, I think I was thinking more just, like, American attitudes towards sex in general. American attitudes
2: towards anything?
1: Yeah, literally. But, I saw someone um, get in a
2: fight today about the Green New Deal, and I was like, just because you don't want your children to have a fucking planet, Kathy, like, shut the fuck up. Oh, my God. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so this episode is part two of our conversation with Ian and Sydney. Part two. So if you didn't listen to last week's episode, you should go listen to that first so that you can have more of an idea what we're talking about in this episode. Mm-hmm.
1: But even if you didn't, I'm sure you'll have a great time listening to this one anyway.
2: But also like, just go back and listen to the first one because... We what the fuck why don't you want to give up. us views yeah. yeah yeah come on
1: i thought i thought you loved us
2: yeah <laughs> i love my fans. <laughs> that's a super mac 18 reference if anybody got that i would be actually very surprised but yeah i didn't get that he was a youtuber from like 2010 who made videos like in his basement he was like a 14 year old
1: oh is, are we talking like fred status <laughs> like pre-fred Wow.
2: Like, he was, like, OG king of YouTube. A,
1: a world I know nothing about and just kind of pretend to sometimes.
2: That's fine. Whenever you talk about law stuff, I literally black out.
1: Oh, yeah, obviously, as you should. I mean, I honestly do, too, sometimes. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. But anyway, this episode, again, super fun, talking about my high school experience. <laughs> Our high school <laughs> Yeah. Uh the crazy world that was yeah a new Do England I wish I went school. to Milton?
2: I don't I don't know if I actually do.
1: Yeah. I mean I really loved the experience. Um I know that it definitely is not for everybody. There there are pro, just like any high school, you know, there are pros and cons. Um I'm grateful for it at the end of the day. And um I would I your high school a, had
2: pros and like but like every high school has cons. Like I don't think there were really that many pros to being in my high school. Really. I don't know. That's just me. I mean, I take that back. Actually, there there are benefits to being in a small school, but yeah, I don't know. I got to like I walk feel- onto the football team my senior year. Yeah.
1: I feel like <laughs> maybe yours were kind of like pros to small town high school life as a as like a theory or not a theory as like a a thing. <laughs> As a thing, yeah. Like as small a town upstate Yeah. Whereas like my mine might have been very like specific to my high school. Yeah. But I'm but like then again I'm saying that and it's like Or any New England prep school. Yeah, it's like gonna be there's plenty of schools and you can just talk about them as a concept, so I don't even know what I'm
2: saying. Oh, you know what else <laughs> we should intro in this intro? What the concept of internalized homophobia. <laughs> why is that because we talk about it and because it's like a very very real thing that every single fucking mm-hmm. queer person goes through in their own way and it like manifests in its own way in every single person who's not straight and also probably a lot of people who end up being straight did that make sense? does that does that count as internalized homophobia then? I mean Probably, unless they're, like, acting on it, and then it would be external homophobia. But if they just, like, have it inside, I don't know. Well, how did Matt, it manifest you in you? How would you define internalized homophobia?
1: I asked you my question first.
2: I asked you my question
1: <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> I would say internalized homophobia is... It's a form of self-hatred, is it makes you hate yourself because of any stereotypes or traits about yourself that are related to that queer identity when you express that hatred and project it onto others you are doing things that are homophobic yes i have never defined internalized homophobia before so think i got it (laughs) how would you describe it that covered
2: it similarly i think that it's like when you have like some pent up shit that you have to deal with, and instead of dealing with it, you project it onto other people and cause harm. Yeah.
1: I think a and really it's all common rooted in
2: like sexuality.
1: For sure. For sure. I mean, I think a really common form that internalized homophobia can take, and probably something that's easy to like understand, is when like gay men, cis gay men, or I mean I guess any gay men, um, are like Speak ill of or look down on or treat poorly other gay men who are more feminine acting
2: or beat up or scream faggot at them or anything. Yeah, it can be peaceful, yep. it can be violent. Like, yeah, I'm picturing like shameless right now. I haven't watched for...
1: it, I'm just yeah, yeah, but it's just that kind of like you're looking down on other queer people for expressing themselves differently than you, and it often takes the form of looking down on femininity because femininity. And men is not looked on favorably in society. And so it's a form of homophobia. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it becomes internalized homophobia when you are gay and you are taking it out on other gay people.
2: I mean, I think it's one of the most important things to talk about when talking about coming out because I don't think it's a conversation that happens a lot. And I think that's where a lot of problems happen within the gay community. Mm-hmm. And we brush on it in this episode in a way that I've never really thought about like I've never really thought about the internalized homophobia that I had when I was in high school and how I enacted it on other kids who were like like the conversation that we had about like well, just because you were gay doesn't mean I owe you anything and I didn't want to associate with you because I didn't want my identifier to be the gay kid like
3: Mm -hmm.
2: yeah like I had the same similar experience and I'm sure a lot of people did but I've never connected that to me like hating part of my identity
1: yeah No, for sure. I mean, I don't know that I had ever really connected it to that before this conversation. I mean, I know I like look back and I like had done this before where I like recognized some of my behaviors. Like, God, I was like so self hating and like low key homophobic towards absolutely towards myself, but like I didn't really, I didn't really look at it from the angle that we talk about in this episode so it, w- it was super interesting
2: yeah let's so, just <laughs> normalize that too i don't know yeah not normalize homophobia but <laughs> normalize like looking at the mirror and like trying to figure out where mm. where actions are coming yeah. from i guess
1: and i think definitely having a little bit of grace with people who you can tell are having who are acting out of oh, internalized homophobia because it could be they it could be part of their evolution and part of their growing process like i know it was for me but it it doesn't mean i should have gotten away with or some of the things that i said without recourse um yeah. so you know instead of you know aggressively and very loudly calling somebody out maybe just check take in that on them. Yeah. Check in on them. Take that time to have a little more grace than you might normally if they were to say something.
2: Yeah. Mean. I was listening to, oh, another plug. Um, My friend Madison had me on her podcast a few weeks ago, but it came out today, Monday. Um, So if you want to hear me talk about being an OG YouTuber and dating in the LGBT scene, which you should never listen to me for. Um, I mean, honestly,
1: I think not. I think they should probably listen to you over me because I just like got lucky one day and was like, all right, I'm out.
2: (laughs) See ya. Well, her podcast is called Figuring It Out. Uh, It's by Madison Marie. It's on Spotify and Apple and everything. So if you want to check it out, it was really fun. She's another Um, queer lady too. And she was talking about her experience being gay in New York. Check it out. Check it out. Check it out. Yeah, I did it one morning while I was really hungover. It was like a Sunday morning. And I was like, I'm so sorry. She was like, Me too, girl. And I was like, Thank Uh God. (laughs) (laughs) Have you listened to Lonely by Bieber? No, is it new? It came out on Friday, and, like, it made me, like, cry. It's so sad. <laughs> it was written by Phineas, and his SNL performance— Oh, my God, I almost posted it on your wall earlier because we used to post those, like, Bieber vocals on each like, other's walls. <laughs> the vocals and his SNL vocal performance was so good. <laughs> you used to post Bieber things on my wall,
1: and I loved it. I loved it. Don't get me wrong, but that was not a two-way street. Are you projecting yet. your homophobia on me, Matthew? <laughs> <laughs> no, I love Bieber. <laughs> Well, I, I was excited start. we
2: were going to a concert together, you fucking I bitch. I
1: It was fun, okay? Even though I
2: barely remember that concert. Ugh. oh Sam. What a moment. <laughs> what a moment. <laughs> Did you know that the girl in Black wow, year, was that home? the six-year-old, or the eight-year-old, or however old, she has also played Peppa Pig?
1: And I'm pretty sure she was making, like, stupid amounts of expanded. money. She was
2: making a Ex- million dollars a year as a six-year-old. A million pounds a year, which is like a million and a half dollars a year. Oh my god. Yeah. You yeah. go, for, girl. For being the voice of Peppa Pig. She's actually a really good actress, too. She,
1: Imagine like, getting paid thousands and thousands and tens of thousands, hundred, and however millions. much money she got. Well, I was going to say just for hanging up on Susie Sheep. Goodbye, Suzy. <laughs> no, she doesn't even say anything. She, you put your lips together and blow.
2: Like this. Beep! And she hangs up on her. I can't that I've, like, ever watched Peppa Pig.
1: I haven't either, but that is, like, that scene makes the rounds on the internet, every, on Twitter, every, like, six months.
2: Is it in your reactions folder?
1: Um, it is. <laughs>
2: <laughs> of course.
1: Um, if you have questions, comments, or concerns, please direct them to our HR department. Anyway, guys, I hope you enjoy part two of Romy and Matt's high school reunion. <sighs> <laughs> with aaron just adding in a few comments every once
2: in a while <laughs> with aaron going oh yeah whoa everything totally ends, so. yeah literally oh, i La- just laughing so cool. outrageously <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> me editing it back i'm like shut the fuck up aaron like shut uh, up all right bye all
1: right, see you again next week Bye. <laughs>
0: I told my dad, late sophomore year. Of high school? Uh, of, no, of high school. Okay. Yeah, no. Um, Sydney, what did you tell your parents? You were black. Honestly,
3: it was a big shock to my my mom. She <laughs> still
0: doesn't know. <laughs> well, well, she still doesn't Well, she won't accept you, it. You should describe oh, that, okay, yes, yeah. this is well, important. Well, it's important
3: to note that my mom is white as can be, okay. and my dad yeah, okay. is Nigerian. Um, so honestly, like, like I really don't have the most traditional upbringing in the sense of being black in America because my dad is fully African. Like he really doesn't understand the politics of being black in America and then my mom is just clueless. Um, so it was a very interesting upbringing in that sense of my identity.
0: And I think that's somewhere that we sort of related because obviously, as gay men, you don't inherit that. That's not like being black in the traditional way or Jewish or any sort of racial or religious group where you grow up, you know those people, you know your grandparents. You have to sort of discover that and find your own community. And uniquely, that was sort of your Yeah, I think
3: I did have to go on this sort of like self-discovery experience which I do wish it happened earlier and in high school but
2: so that um, happened more for you in college
3: definitely well. definitely yeah
1: no I, I do totally think Ian made a really good point in that it's it's kind of similar in a sense to being gay in that you kind of have to like find and learn about your community a little bit later Um it's something that i was i was talking about with a friend earlier today and that or actually i was explaining to my mom actually um that it's especially now we're kind of like starting to see what it looks like to have like full generations worth of gay men because you know we lost so many people during in the 80s to the AIDS crisis. And, yeah. you know, we lost, and we've talked about this so many times, but like of so many different ages, just, you know, an entire generation and, and more worth of role models and people to build our community and to sustain our community. And there's so much trauma that comes with that. And so I think we're starting to see now kind of what that could have grown into. And the acceptance of us as, you know, as gay people in society, um, and so that idea of like seeing yourself and learning about yourself from a younger age is, I think, it's starting to happen earlier now because we have so many people who are able to sur- survive, and grow and establish themselves openly based on because of the people who came before us and had who died before us but we've got generations and generations to see what our trajectory looks like and to learn from instead of everybody died
0: well and i don't know if any of you guys feel the same way but i felt for the longest time a little bit of imposter syndrome in the gay community, because we grew up in a privileged bubble, yeah. and I was lucky that my parents <laughs> were very accepting of me. Yeah. And mm-hmm. all the time. Absolutely. Yeah, and Milton, luckily for any of the cultural sort of aggressions, largely and overtly was accepting. And then to go to college, and I don't know if you filled this at USC, mm. and meet people with a completely more traumatic and grueling Mm -hmm. experience based on the identity that i share as well yeah
1: i agree 100 i mean i feel i not like the first one but there are like talking to people and hearing other people who because it still happens all the time people like don't have accepting parents or don't have yeah the like privilege to come out and be themselves and have your community accept you and have friends back you up i i don't know if for myself i would describe it as imposter syndrome i would probably describe it more as like guilt yeah like priv- like privilege guilt and I, it almost feels like i'm i feel like i'm the first one a lot of the time which is weird because i know i'm not um but it, the conversation, I feel like you hear so much more about people who were, like, thrown out of their house or whose parents, you know, didn't accept them. It was really difficult because I feel like you, you don't, like, spread far and wide the conversation or the the experience of you came out and your parents were like, okay, cool. Can you take out the garbage? Like, I don't really think like, <laughs> that's fine. You're still my son, you know? Um, so it, it definitely feels... I feel like when people talk to me or say those things that they had like a a negative experience at certain points where I didn't. Um. I feel like I... Not that I'm not deserving of hearing that, but that like I... I feel like I'm almost brag. I feel like my existence is bragging.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, something Sydney and I were talking about which sort of feeds into that sort of bragging mentality is that at Milton and maybe beyond, but certainly at Milton, we felt somewhat collected, somewhat fetishized,
3: mm.
0: being half black, being gay, and being, once again, at those tables, having those discussions where teachers were favored us, quite frankly. Mm.
3: Yeah, I felt like there were many times where teachers would take sort of a special interest and I really couldn't come up with any other reason for it than yeah. my race. And our brilliance and beauty. Yes, of course. <laughs> well, of course.
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, I've never thought of it like
3: that. Yeah.
2: But I totally...
3: Oh, and in an environment like Milton... Yeah. It, because... I mean, that's not something that especially, like, an older person would consider inherently bad, Mm -hmm. which in some ways it's not. I mean, in some ways I got to have deeper relationships with teachers because of that, which was cool. But when I look back, sometimes I'm like, oh, like, that's a little funky.
0: (laughs) And it's, like, the psychology of a pet in the sense that it's, like, we got a lot out of that, but we also sacrificed something.
3: Yeah. Mhm.
0: Yeah. Wow. But I think that, <laughs> that is something like, and and I hope you feel comfortable with mm. me sharing this, but I remember being witness to a shocking display by a teacher at Milton who was black talking about Sydney when Sydney had decided to go to Music Conservatory opposed to going the traditional, you know, liberal arts university track. Mm. And this woman was literally enraged upon hearing it, saying, She <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, like, yeah, feel uncomfortable. Obviously, you guys I'll are going to bleep this. But else. it was... Yeah. uh whatever her name was. Um, Oh,
1: yeah, that tracks.
0: (laughs) But she was like, she's such a fool. Like, she could have walked (laughs) into Harvard. What is she doing? Blah, 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 blah. And there was, like, such this weird rage.
3: Yeah. Which is so... I mean, that's so... Coming from her is not surprising because of her general attitude on things, but it was... So shocking at the time to hear another person of color talking about being of color and that, like, as it's like a tool. Like, it was just That's so an, mind-blowing. It's so interesting hearing it,
2: and I'm sure it's just like fully a projection.
3: Yeah, yeah.
0: Of like a. Well, and it's so sick because you were. Pursuing your dream. And yeah. USC is one of 100%. the greatest music conservatories in the country. And but she was so like, hell. Is that bad. what a teacher should want for you?
3: No. Well, I mean Milton, in general, Milton had no idea what to do with the fact that I said I want to go to music school. I don't like I I can't imagine I'm the first person to ever do that, but the was yeah. like appalled like he was like what do you mean i don't know what to do
1: (laughs) okay so i i just know he was packing okay (laughs) 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 look he was my hsnr
0: coordinator oh my god i forgot hsnr 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 HSNR. HSNR. existed jesus christ
1: he would there would be some ways that he would sit that i would just be like I would just, like, pass by him and then be like.
0: You know who I wanted to fuck? Mr.
3: Mr. Oh, yes. (laughs) He was so hot.
1: He was, like, the only one.
3: Well, also, for context, (laughs) this man would literally, he would literally, like, come into class with his shirt unbuttoned say, like his, his navel, uh-huh. like, take off his shoes, yes, no shoes, like no socks, and like sit
0: like like pose like this, <laughs> everyone knew he worked for a dollar a day because he like came from like, or a dollar a year because he like came from a wealthy family, <laughs> which also, I can't, I can't say this, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> But okay, actually, take this out. I will.
1: Twelve seconds later, he I like, would
2: totally do that. Are you crazy? a heartbeat.
1: I would love to do that.
3: I think. He all did right, love it. Miss
0: Stockholm Syndrome. But he,
3: definitely, <laughs> he definitely
0: loved it.
2: He was. doubtful. Anyway, we'll reel it back in again. Can
0: we use any of this? Yes. Oh my god.
2: Um, I pro- i don't
1: think I ever like told people what- this wasn't like a thing that happened, but it w- To like jump back to the like dorm living, my, the like head of the dorm, I basically got him like kicked out of his position.
0: Was he a student
2: or was he a teacher?
1: He was a teacher. He was a teacher. He was yeah, he was a teacher. What was Um, his name?
0: Obviously, but
1: (laughs) Mister. I remember him. I don't really remember, but (laughs) it's better that way. I'm jealous of me. but there was one time, senior, my senior year, I think it was, maybe it was my junior year, but he basically like sat down everybody in my grade to just have kind of like a, it wasn't like because of anything, but it was kind of just like a, like a checkup or like a, you know.
2: He was a doctor.
1: Near, <laughs> yeah, as a, a Everyone had ASA. to strip down. <laughs> now <laughs> cough. Uh, and... <laughs> He basically was – I think there had actually been, like, an incident of, like, racial – I mean, I guess you can say it was racial violence because, you know, anything that's, like, race-based and prejudice is racial violence. But um, there had been something for some reason that we were, like, sitting down to have, like, a serious conversation, and he basically said, like, you know – you know, we are here like as a dorm, we're supposed to be here for each other, we live with each other, we care for each other, we're not supposed to let these things get in the way, you know, doesn't matter if you're from Boston, you're from New York, you're from China, you're gay, you're from California, whatever, and it was just like, he just like threw the gay thing in there so randomly, it didn't fit at all, had nothing to do with what anybody was talking about, and it was so clearly directed at me that every, like, you could tell everybody in the room was kind of like, Bishwa, Huh? Like, what does that have to do with anything? And so that kind of, like, started a trickle effect of where, like, he knew he fucked up, and then didn't correct himself in the right way where he would like continue to like make it a point to be like we're a really gay accepting dorm like we're fine with everything and it like got to the point where it was like stop and I like had to talk to a teacher like a one of the like school I mean she was basically like a school therapist she's a school psychologist I'd be like I need like an intervention because this is like getting out of hand and it's making me so uncomfortable mm. living here. And then the year after I left, he was not in that position anymore. Damn. Damn. And I know for a fact he was in, like, um, like training, se- like, one-on-one training sessions.
0: <laughs> That's quite progressive.
3: Yeah, that is. Mm. I mean. I'm shocked. I am also actually sort of shocked. <laughs>
1: That Milton did something about it. Yeah, right? like yeah. That. that Milton did
3: something about it. Yeah,
1: not that he was saying. Yeah. it. wait. I think it helped that the th- like the school psychologist I talked to Ms. was married to a she was married to a woman, and that the like head school psychologist Miss was also Who married I to a woman. I hated
0: that woman. I <laughs> really? fucking hated. Don't even bleep this. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: She. Yeah. Don't
1: make it say you're so fucking gay on the intro. Just say,
2: don't even bleep this. <laughs> That's good, Matt.
0: That's good.
2: <laughs> Thank Wait,
0: you. Matthew, you know what is something we have never talked about? Which, why not talk about it? Why not? On live? On tape?
1: I feel like I'm about to get red for filth.
0: All right. <laughs> Do you remember how we were like. Actively not friends at Milton <laughs> we, have yeah. <laughs> we, have tried, re- we have tried to erase the narrative We have tried we have tried to watercolor the shit out of that blur the lines But we I will zero say zero mutual friends uh, <laughs> We have mutual friends Mom, girl. the girls are fighting. But no, it, I mean obviously Matt knows I love him, but it yes. is, and it, I love Ian as well. It is interesting that we were like, mm-hmm. we actively did not fucks with each other, despite knowing each other. And I think, and I'd be interested to hear your perspective on this, I think it was just the culture, and it was so rare to be gay that it almost felt competitive yes. or divisive That's what I was gonna say. rather than being a community. And I felt that about the gay guy you mentioned previously that he and I didn't get along. And it wasn't, I mean, if I saw him now, I'd give him a hug, but it was just the culture that none of us stuck together really. Was that your memory of it?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think there was more to my mindset in high school um, that led to it. I think, like I mentioned before, there was a lot of, like, wanting to kind of stay fit in with my friend group and not, like, rock the boat and not be something that I wasn't – that I – not – want say this i think well <laughs> i know this is for for a fact that there was a lot of wanting to be the straight acting gay guy who everyone was still friends with and like it was just like it just like happened to be a thing but like you know whatever and i think part of that territory came with like oh like if i'm gonna do this like all of my guy friends have to be straight i gotta keep up the like reputation that I've built for myself still like if I'm friends with this like other homo <laughs> people are going to start to think of us as like oh those are the gay guys the on homos. campus yeah like those are the mean fags because um, let's be honest if we had been friends that we would have would have been the that, reputation and it would have been correct
0: <laughs> true
1: um, so <laughs> And it would have been fun as fuck, but there was just so much, like, self... um, Internalized homophobia? Yeah, so much internalized homophobia of, like, I can't associate, I don't want to associate with anyone else who is gay because then I... That's what I become. Mm. I become, like, that gay person. Exactly. And so there was never a point where I disliked you there was never a point where I was like, I actively don't want to be friends with him, but it was absolutely like a, I'm not gonna go out of my way to make friends with him just because we're both gay. I'm not gonna go out of my way to create a friendship that's going to paint me as like even gayer than I already am. Um, and it sucks. And it's really shitty because we've built such a beautiful and great friendship and we come from such a, we could have had, it It could be so much more than it is. And we could share so much more and we could have such a. a more beautiful, developed relationship with more history that could look so different than it is. And I'm so grateful for what it is and I love what it is. And I, I don't want it to ever be less than what it is. But I think there, there could have been more had that shame and had that internalized homophobia not been there.
0: Well, and I meant every word I said about how inspired I was that you were out there. Emphasis on the past, Ted's. No. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I heard that too. (laughs) That I was. No. Let me. Let's just pretend I started that. I mean every word when I say that I am so inspired that I saw you move through Milton and move through Tubbs with such confidence and being out and being open. And I mean, obviously it like takes two to tango. It's not like I was like extending the hand of friendship and you were refusing it. I just find it interesting that in that environment because it does seem natural in a way and that just wasn't the reality
3: but i will say and correct me if i'm wrong but maybe an added layer to that is i always felt that having relationships like with people in different grades was always kind of like a point of contention like people especially if Mm. it was like for me if I was friends with a straight guy in the grid above me, it was like, oh, like, what's going on there? Like, I don't, like, I don't know if that is Absolutely. at all.
1: <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I think that definitely trickled in. I mean, I think there was definitely a part of, like, if I'm ever even, like, seen interacting with him, there's gonna be a rumor that we're hooking up. Yeah. Which, uh, I mean, obviously, like, then was, like, I can't have that. <laughs> For what reason, I don't know, but like, you know, I think, I think part of that probably is like, it's, it's scandalous enough that I exist as a gay person. Let's not throw in the added layer of I'm hooking up with somebody that is just like too much to
3: handle. Yeah. Well, and that was so the culture of Milton, like Mm -hmm. to begin with was, yeah. If your scene would sound like, I honestly feel yeah. like
2: <laughs> rumor and
1: fact,
3: y- yeah, again, yeah, again, like...
2: one and the same.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think that that trickled into college and manifested in kind of a weird way. In that, like, when things first started out, like, I wouldn't tell anybody about people that I hooked up with, and then once I like realized that it like didn't like people didn't really kind of give a shit. Um, it kind of just, like, opened the floodgates of, like, wait a second, this isn't a big deal. Yeah. Like, I can t- I can tell people about this, and they're not going to judge me, or they're not going to, like, it doesn't change their opinion on me. There was There was just so much, like, built-up, like, repression and shame about talking about that or even being associated with that, that once it was able to be talked about i was kind of just like overflowing with like telling people about like guys i hooked up with a guy this weekend like how cool is that and they were like okay, okay. congratulations
0: no and it feels like a sigh of relief when you find those communities where totally you no longer have to be afraid of rocking the boat you don't have to walk on eggshells that if i say like if I talk about anything sexual or if I talk about anything political or social that's not just like fun and entertainment, I'm no longer worried that people are gonna be like weirded out. And that's something that even though I have a lot of critiques of Tufts, I'm very grateful for. Because when I got to Tufts and found out that people just accepted you, And it wasn't weird, it wasn't exotic, it wasn't interesting. It was like, just that side of anonymity.
1: Ian, did you feel, not to bring it back, or not to ignore what you were saying, but to bring it back a little bit, did you feel a certain way about the fact that we didn't have pretty much any friendship in high school that there wasn't like any sort of like relationship at all between us even though we like very clearly and openly had this like one thing that tied us together that no one else
0: shared i mean for sure and i obviously did not intend this to be like naomi campbell coming on the tyra (laughs) show
1: (laughs) i mean i think where we are now i think it's very much fine
0: (laughs) no yeah Definitely. And sort of as Sydney said, I think that something interesting about Milton was that there was such a social emphasis on grade and who was an upperclassman, who was a lower classman. And as I said, I found it incredibly inspirational how open you were. And yeah, I mean, if I'm being honest, there were times that like that did hurt but also I never took it as anything towards you because I was more than complicit in it in my own way like when I look at people who were younger than me or anyone who isn't Dan Berman Mm -hmm. who was in my own grade who was gay I wanted nothing to do with them I wanted to carve out my own section that mm-hmm. I'm friends with everyone and this isn't a big issue. You know, I mean, something that actually haunts me, and I've spoken to Sydney about this many times, is a girl came out as lesbian in our grade, made a long Facebook post basically describing herself coming out, and a kid. Sort of a dramatic reading of it Mm. clearly mocking her Mm -hmm. in front of about 20 people (gasps) And including myself I didn't know this. What? Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, and everyone laughed including me and so It's nothing personal to you, but because I was absolutely a perpetrator in my own way, but I definitely did wish I remember talking to you about it like wish I could have had that sort of friendship and not to detract from this but unfortunately I feel like that's
2: not or maybe fortunately I don't know I feel like that's not necessarily unique to Milton although it's probably a lot more I don't know like visual there I definitely felt the same way in my high school where it was like that I, there were kids who I knew were gay, and it was like, of course I knew that we were tied together, but did I feel like I owed them anything? No. And when when I was, like, in a position to, like, form a relationship with them, I was like, why? I, and again, it's just, it's fully an internal thing that I think that you deal with when you're so young. That sucks. Um, and looking back, you're like, fuck that shit. But, I don't know. So much. Being in high school is just, like, shitty. Yeah, I think there's,
1: it, it's very weird because when you're younger, looking up to someone older, you're like, the the best thing in the world would be to have a friendship or have some sort of relationship with that person to talk to about our mutual identity or whatever it is that ties us together. And then when you're older and a little more like confident, and then when you're when you're older it's kind of like when you're older like in high school age like now I feel very differently but like when you're older you're kind of like well we don't really have anything in common like that's not enough of a reason it's not uh, a
2: defining factor of my personality yeah exactly it's It's like it's not enough of a reason
1: yeah. Like, I don't need to be friends with them just based on this one thing. Like, it doesn't actually mean anything about, like, th- what does that mean for us? Nothing. Like, we don't actually have anything in common or anything to talk about.
0: And I also think but it's a it's... subtle distinction because I'm sure if I had come to you with anything serious, you would have been there to help me. Absolutely. And I, I would I would hope so. I, I would like to say I,
1: I think I would be. I can't tell you for sure, obviously, but I, I, I think I would have been.
0: I think he would have been too, and Sydney, I don't know if, I mean, do you feel that in high school or just growing up in general, you had any, like, people of color that you Not at
3: all, which I think was the issue, and I think, I don't know, I think my upbringing and my parents specifically, like, really tried to drill into me that being black was not some, like, aspect of my personality or, like, Mm -hmm. who I was, which is wrong. Like, it is who I am. And I Mm -hmm. wish that I had been able to embrace that sooner. But I do kind of get from, like, a parenting or, like, anyone, like, like, any sort of, like, mentorship perspective, like, people being like, oh, like, don't get boxed in. Mm -hmm. These are things that I think everyone hears but there's a difference between being boxed in because you're a basketball player or an athlete and being boxed in by something that's so like you know integral to who you are and that's not really being boxed in at all that's just you know finding yourself
0: <laughs> it's treated absolutely. like a disability yeah. yeah it's like people talk to their children who are people of color or lgbtq plus you know as if it's they're in a wheelchair like don't let this define you like don't let anyone see you as less which there is something healthy Mm -hmm. but that also sort of reinforces the shame in it
2: sorry to cut you off and it's so interesting that you're saying that because like pulling it back to like some of the interviews that we've done we had my friend Nico, who came out as gay to his two lesbian moms, and you would think that, like, him coming out to his two lesbian parents, like, they'd be like, whatever, but they were like, oh no. And then Madison, who we talked to last week, she came out as gay to her parents when she was in eighth grade, and they were like, whatever, and she now has two dads, I believe she said. And then when she came out as trans, they were like, oh my God, like, oh my God. Like, and they, it was like a huge adjustment. And it's, I've never thought of it like that, but that was a really, really great way of putting
0: it no totally and i
3: and i wonder about
0: Mm.
3: myself as a parent like because i think that is your instinct yeah you just want the best for your kids like so like protective and yeah but it's a hard yeah it's a hard thing
0: a hard line to (laughs) walk and i think that like again one of those like one foot in one foot out moments where i think about growing up as a white man in this country and growing up like reasonably economically privileged. I feel like when we were growing up parents were not necessarily saying, at least until you were much older, like these are your responsibilities. Like these are things you have to be watchful for. Mm -hmm. So people who grow up in those sort of privileged bubbles, they end up being somewhat blind. And then people who have any sort of minority aspect to their identities become so hyper focused on that. Because opposed to thinking of it as I'm a white man who grew up in New England, who, you know, was born to wealthy parents, whatever, as well as being gay, I suddenly just focus on being gay because everything is sort of washed away because the weakest link. exactly you don't focus on a more holistic view of your identity mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: i mean i wonder if that's a privilege that people who only have majority identities get i mean I, I think in some degree it is that when you don't have to think about what your identity means in a certain space you don't you don't focus on it and you just get to kind of exist and I think that kind of is the the definition of privilege where it's like you don't have to think about this particular aspect and what it creates or what kind of um reactions it might create in certain spaces Mm -hmm. yeah like I don't ever I, I don't ever walk into a space and think about like is my like the fact that I'm a male gonna, like, put me in a compromising position here, the fact that I'm white gonna put me in a compromising position here, but I do walk into spaces sometimes and think, like, or, like, like, the fact that I'm gay, is that gonna put me in a compromising position here? Um, and I think, you know, I think for a lot of people that are gonna hear that and be like, yes, obviously, like, where the fuck have you been? But, um, it, is just, it's one of those things that everybody who has uh, some sort of minority identity kind of understands on their own. And that kind of has been the way that I've thought about it and understood it for myself because I still do, I I am able, (laughs) according to my own thoughts as far as I know, able to kind of like minimize and hide that about myself sometimes. And I do it pretty frequently still to be able to blend in a little bit more to spaces to kind of maximize my privilege as much as I can. Um, and that being able to do that in and of itself is a huge privilege. Um, like I was talking about it with somebody recently that like when I meet new people, my voice, I draw my voice a lot. Um, because I, I mean, I, (laughs) I have a podcast. I've heard my, what my own voice sounds like. It's not exactly the, the deepest, most straight passing voice there is. (laughs) Um, but, I drop my voice a lot when I meet new people. Um, I had an interview today. I drop my voice a ton. Um, it's you know LGBT is all over my resume. But as soon as I'm in an interview with somebody who I know, or I presume is not, or I don't know is, um, part of the LGBT community, like I drop my voice immediately yeah. just because it is less controversial. It's, there's one less thing for me to have to... Overcome. Worry. <laughs> overcome and worry that it's leaving an impression negative or whatever on the other person.
0: Well, and also, there's no parody of being, like, a white straight man in a job interview. There's a parody of being a black woman. There's a parody of being a gay man, you know, yeah. speaking in a high-pitched register and dropping his wrist less left and right. like I think it's bizarre and I didn't really notice it until I started working at Vogue actually, which is a hyper-creative, hyper-gay-friendly, run by women, obviously, industry. Mm. And yet, I realized that in more corporate settings, gay men and queer people in general, behaved a different way than they might in creative settings. Mm. So if you're surrounded by sort of very official people, that your demeanor changes. And I don't know if you relate in any way. Yeah, oh,
3: I completely relate. I mean, I've been told Countless times that I sound like a white girl, mm-hmm. but it's funny because mainly that comes from other black people. That's not mm-hmm. white people saying that to me. Thank but God. I I do remember. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> no, I know. Um, my my father like code switching a hundred um, percent. He would go from a call talking to his friends to. A business call and I would hear two completely different people and didn't really understand that until maybe like high school that sometimes that's what you have to do and mm-hmm. you know I just speak the way that I speak I don't feel like I code switch at all but It is a reality for so many people, and it's really sad. And another thing (laughs) that's like kind of a broader topic, but that's funny to me is um, how prevalent AVE is Mm. becoming, and how now like accepted it's becoming when. It's been something that's existed, you know, for what's AAV? Oh, it's African American Vernacular, which is like, what are words like? You have to say it. I'm not saying it. <laughs> it's a trap. It's like, yeah. It's not a trap. It's, <laughs> it's like traditionally black. It's not a trap. Yeah. It's More like, way, right? oh god, like I'm literally drawing a huge blank. Right I mean, I feel
2: now. like I see it a lot on Twitter where people are. Mm-hmm. saying all these white people are just fucking capitalizing off of shit that we've been, yeah. like, shat on for for years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like the word ain't comes to mind for
3: me. Yeah.
2: Or no, said. when, like, grammatically
1: one would say not. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, I'm, I'm actually really interested, sorry to go back a little bit to what you were saying, Sydney, because is your dad, like, born and raised Nigeria mm-hmm. and then came here? Yeah. So... Is his code switching like with accent or is it with? Yeah,
3: so it would be a lot more so. Like, so he kind of would speak to another one of his friends from like Nigeria or something Mm -hmm. in a sort of like Yoruban, which is the language he speaks, English, like hybrid, and then go to just sounding, like, completely, like, no accent.
1: Wow. Yeah. That's impressive. It,
3: I mean, he he came here... Well, so he went to boarding school in London and then okay. um, came to the U.S. when he was 18. So he had been here for quite a while. But, yeah, he can speak fully with no accent whatsoever. Wow.
1: Does he speak... Does he speak Aruba fluently?
3: He... I think lost it a little bit, but then he actually moved back to Nigeria a few years ago, so I'm sure oh, okay. he's got it back.
1: <laughs> do you do you speak it at no, all? No,
3: not at all. He. Oh no. Well, and I mean, honestly, like that's another thing. Like he didn't want to teach me. He was like, "Why would she have? She would have no use for that in America." And that's a, like kind of at least a maybe an African parent thing.
1: No, I, I, well, I, I don't want to say, I don't want to comment on that as being like a yes or no of an African parent thing because I have no idea, but I have seen some, from some of my other friends who have parents who speak, um, like mainland Europe languages, Mm -hmm. um, that their parents just like didn't teach them and with really without any reason. Um, and I think for, I think there's two, I have two like big thoughts about that. It's like one, from like a developmental stance, it's terrible because it's just like being bilingual, just like it's proven that it's just like so much good for your like brain elasticity and you are just smarter and it's it's just better for you. And then two, we are almost entirely a country of immigrants that all have ties for the most part to other places and I think it's a really beautiful thing when we can maintain those ties. And I think language is a really easy way to maintain those ties. And I, there's a reason we don't have a national language.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: We don't? I,
1: I think, no. It's not English? It's not English. I know, it's surprising. And I ho- I really hope I'm not wrong, but I'm like very certain I'm not. No,
0: you're right. Um, Wait, then why is every document, every bill, every... Because it's the, the Declaration of Independence.
1: It there it just was never established as the official language.
0: That's interesting. Oh, that's
3: interesting.
0: Well, it's also interesting that like, even in countries one would think are more homogeneous in their languages, I'm always shocked when you look on you know Wikipedia about Mozambique or a sort of country that at least I don't. Think about every day, for instance, and you see that they have seven official languages.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that, like, I'm pretty sure
2: Nigeria has, like, yeah. a ton, a lot. <laughs> yeah. So. I think that we can also circle back probably and talk a little bit on what your lives are like now because I know that okay. this is the Hilton, the, the Hilton Reunion. Excuse me. <laughs> the Paris Hilton documentary. No, the Milton yeah. Reunion. Episode. The
0: Naomi and Tyra uh-huh. Reunion. reunion. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, I was saying to Aaron that I obviously interview people for my job all the time, mm-hmm. so it's so much more easy to interview others and come up with questions and keep that volleyball up in the air. Rather than like answering. Things. Yeah, the stress. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, I think at I think we're similar in that way, and that like it's a lot easier for us to continually create and maintain conversation, and we don't feel as stressed to, like, if we know that things have to go for a certain amount of time, or that they need to keep going, or have to go a certain way. Like, we, I we, I feel like we're the same personality, where like we can just kind of make that happen as it needs to drive the conversation as best we need. If they're not talking, we can just like keep going. Totally. Whereas like if you're on the other side and you're like of that personality, you're kind of like, Oh God, like, I hope this is doing what needs to be done. Mm. If they're not going to drive the conversation the way that they need to, like I have to take charge and I don't know if it's going to work the way that they need it to.
0: Yeah, and so part of my job is I write party coverage for Vogue.com. So I go to parties and report on them. So I'm, you know, sitting around a dinner table and usually with people I have not met before, and basically speaking mm-hmm. to them, um, and have to write down what they say, snippets of conversation, and. Mm-hmm it's so funny because I've probably now done like 50, I've attended like probably 55, 60 parties on behalf of Vogue and just like had to come back with a story and usually it's amazing and I would not trade it for anything in the world. Like the people I've met are just unbelievable and Mm -hmm. I can't imagine any other publication or any other job that, you know, I would be able to interview Hillary Clinton or Lynn Manuel Miranda, but it was such a learning curve sitting down at a table that you do not belong in when you're, you know, 22, 23 years old and just having to talk, having to create conversation with these people who are far more accomplished than you are. And. I just can't imagine getting that experience any other way. That's, that's crazy, like that's incredible. I can't all. imagine getting those <laughs> shoes. Yeah.
1: That's so cool. I just wanna like see you in your element and see you do that sometime. Like I bet it's just so awe-inspiring.
0: Well, it's so funny, I remember, so when I first joined Vogue, I was very much classic, you know, Devil Wears product, like <laughs> I was a closet assistant, so I was in the accessories closet um, working on shoots, packing, getting in the clothes, the shoes, et cetera. And when I started writing for Vogue.com for these parties, I was so scared and excited, but mainly scared to go to my first one. And I remember walking away from the restaurant in Greenwich Village feeling so blessed because I was so nervous and everyone was so lovely. And it was like all the stars aligned. And literally when I was walking in, I was almost shaking. And it was like the woman sitting to my right had gone to Tufts. And yeah, and my former boss was at the table from my summer internship and it was literally the easiest thing and like my heart was pounding before I walked in the door and I remember walking out and it sounds so cheesy but I remember walking out it was like this freezing winter night and just thinking like thank you god like and going home and writing up that story because I thought I was going to fail Miserably, which I did a couple of times later on, but the first time it was, I was incredibly lucky.
1: That's beautiful. That's awesome. I'm so happy you found that. Me too.
0: But Sydney, <laughs> talk about your job.
3: Oh yeah, talk learns, about nerves. Like, where are you at
1: now? Yeah, talk Accurate.
0: about yes, nerves. Sir. Goodness
3: yeah. gracious. Um, yeah. So I spent the past, well, half a year, because of COVID, playing with the Seattle Symphony, I'm a violinist. Um, and
1: You're a professional musician. A professional
3: musician, which I still, people say that, and I'm like, what are you talking about? Um, Yeah, and a few weeks ago, I just started a fellowship with the Los Angeles Philharmonic, so that's super exciting. Very blessed and lucky. Um, but yeah, I can totally understand what you're saying about nerves. And for me, you know, this is something I've done pretty much every single day of my life since I was like three years old. I've wow. picked up the violin and played the violin. My mom used to say, well, did you brush your teeth today? And I'd be like, yeah, obviously I've brushed my teeth. And she'd be like, well, you have to practice. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, it's, I'm no stranger to, performing in front of people, but in a professional setting, it's just so different. Um, and it took me several weeks, if not months, playing in Seattle to really get used to that high a level of performing, and then having to sit next to someone who's been in the orchestra for like 10 to 40 years, um, who can hear every single Jesus. note you're playing. Um, Is incredibly nerve wracking. But that's part of the thing, and I don't know if you agree with this, if you still get nervous.
0: Uh, every time. Because to
3: me, that's, I, I, I almost enjoy it now, is that's just part of it, is like every single time you perform and every single time that you walk into a new situation, a new party, a new interview, that it's like those little jitters are like, What makes it all worth it?
0: Well, I always feel, and I don't know if you feel this way too, that I often like black out in a way when something's like so high pressure. I almost don't remember it. Like, I was lucky enough to attend the Met Ball, the last Met Ball, which the theme was camp, and Vogue staffers, a handful of Vogue staffers, are positioned basically in different roles within the Met. And I was actually lucky enough that there are always two guys on the stairs. So once the attendees go through the door of the Met, they then walk up these grand, very steep stairs and then meet the receiving line, which is Anna Wintour and the co-hosts of the evening. So me and this other guy had to take the arm and walk up every single guest and introduce them virtually to the receiving line. And it's so funny because we were there almost four hours and I literally remember so little of it. (laughs) And you have to be so rigid. So the boys on the step have to be so formal. So we immediately, once we hand off a guest, have to go back, you know, hand to our back standing rigid extremely proper and i'm like what the fuck am i gonna do <laughs> about this fake tan sprayed across my jacket because we can't oh leave we God. can't move we can't speak right uh-huh i mean all the we queen's can, guard yeah we can only speak literally yeah. we can only speak to the guests to get their names to make sure in case people don't know the names in the receiving line. And, but then my attention was diverted to my friend, who was several steps below me standing in attention. And he started to sort of wobble. And keep in mind, we were standing. None of us, of course, had eaten anything. <laughs> And we were standing for four hours in, a, Skinny. in apocalyptically hot lights because the steps were lit, which the receiving line wasn't in and the main reception area wasn't in, just the stairs, this hot pink light. So it was unbelievably hot. And we hadn't stopped for water or really eaten much. And I see my friend start to wobble. And behind me, I hear... Serena Williams, shout! Somebody get these boys some water. Are you serious? You. Yes. Shout out to Serena. Literally, I'm like, love I'm her. like, leave it to the athlete
3: Yeah, to understand. To understand that she you can't out. be
0: in apocalyptically hot lights in With, a full suit. <laughs> in a full suit. In a full feathered suit, and not oh
3: my gosh, have that's a droplet. Oh my
0: God. Oh my. God. Fuck. <laughs>
1: wow. That's unbelievable.
2: She's the MVP.
0: But everything else about that night, I don't remember a thing. Despite being, <laughs> literally, <laughs> literally, despite being stone cold sober, yeah, yeah. it's just like when you have that much adrenaline, it yeah, just feels like, just, like a fever re- dream. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. absolutely. Do you remember your auditions?
3: Or? Oh, good God, no. Because that is like the height of like, anxiety sure. <laughs> and nerves, and I don't think, probably very not very many people know how orchestra auditions work, which is, like, usually there's multiple rounds, um, and you go, you walk into this room, and there's a giant screen in front of you, and behind it, you know, is a panel of maybe, like, 10 to 20 musicians in the mm. orchestra, so you just have to play to this screen, which is, like, already awful, um... And then you sit in a room with all the other people that went before you and after you, and then they come in and they call out the names of the people who made it to the next oh my God. round. Like it's truly like this like very archaic, oh like weird um, process. So no, I don't remember much of you're at that point you're just running on pure adrenaline, you just go in and yeah. play and hope that it's good. <laughs>
1: Well, isn't that sort of based on, wasn't there a study done where, bef- like, they didn't used to do it behind a screen? Like, yeah, they didn't. See... No,
3: and then, well, majority of orchestras changed it, actually, because they weren't accepted any women. Mm. And... Yeah, that's what I thought it was. <laughs> yeah. And like, yeah. And they were like, but most orchestras actually still take the screens down for the final round, but the final round really? is usually only two or three. People, so it's not like, you know, the mm-hmm. the majority of people play in the first few rounds, um, but That's there right. is a big petition to get them to screen all of the rounds, and some orchestras are doing it now. Fully blind. Yeah, fully blind, which I think is the best way.
2: Yeah, because it's just fully based on your talent.
0: Yeah. Isn't there an argument though, and I just read some random New York Times mm-hmm. op-ed that people are worried that. There won't be as much diversity. Yeah,
3: I mean, that's the other, uh, the flip of the coin is that then there's people saying, take the screens down fully. But it's, it's such a hmm. delicate issue. To me, the issue with diversity in classical music comes far before the orchestral audition process like you you have to get people of color to the auditions for them to win the auditions so to me it wouldn't matter much if the screens were down the whole time because there's just so few people of color to begin with (laughs)
2: damn
1: yeah I feel like it's one of those things where it's like once the numbers of people able to audition or who have cultivated their talent to the point of being able to audition Mm -hmm. Are reflective of society yeah. at large then you can take it down maybe yeah <laughs> when it's actually a 50 maybe yeah yeah yeah
3: well I mean in, 10, 10, 10 in general that process a lot of musicians think should be scrapped fully which I would agree with because playing so when you go you play orchestral excerpts by yourself which is like Not really indicative of how you're gonna play Mm. within a section at all. Like, yeah. So for concertmaster or like sort of like leading positions in the orchestra, Mm -hmm. they actually have to do trials where they come in and play with the full orchestra and rehearsals. And I think that that's just how it should be for all auditions Mm. because that's the only real way to know if someone's gonna like match. Well,
1: I'm gonna have to just come see you play to understand. I guess that's what it
3: boils of down. Of course, to. comps on me if God willing, we ever get to play for uh-huh. people ever again.
2: You can send that's us the Zoom code. <laughs> oh God, that's five
3: hundred
2: dollars Zoom code. Worth it. Yeah, yeah, for
1: sure. <laughs> Just gotta get the best speakers I can find. Truly. They should do that in like movie. Thi- well, we
2: can't even go to movie theaters.
1: Yeah, Never mind.
3: exactly. No, it's all we'll really solve that terrible. Here. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll <laughs> put it in that one. Twelve seconds later,
0: she like, looked like okay, a
1: swap so, potato, ladies. with a wig,
0: <laughs> ladies. Ian, what was the gayest thing you did this week? <laughs> <laughs> the gayest thing I did this week was fucking nothing.
2: You had to do something gay. Your birthday cake was gay. My
0: birthday cake was very gay, except for I'm also not sure if we can talk. Well, actually, Are you cut the- about your birthday? Yeah, so my birthday was actually lovely, so I hired a 15-minute COVID tester to stand outside.
1: Let's, you know, make it quick, ladies. I got classes. in bye. five hours. Bye. <laughs> bye, that was it, bye. Okay. I'm not leaving, but like, what was the gayest thing you did? Don't give me. You did something gay. gay.
0: What did I do, gay? Didn't you? Is, even, the, I is know, this like on your case? Yes. The gayest thing was. This, this is like
1: the end of every episode the of the podcast. Yeah. Yes.
0: The gayest thing I did this I can week. Can tell you're a big fan. This is a uh, all right, <laughs> I listened to the first three. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the gayest thing I did. <laughs> the, Sorry. I love you guys. The gayest thing <laughs> I did all week. Was that my dear friend Aaron bought me a birthday cake that said cigarettes and poppers, and I've never related more.
2: <laughs> Sydney, what was the gayest thing you did this week?
3: Um...
2: And don't be homophobic.
3: I'll try. You're <laughs> I
0: think this podcast is probably the gayest thing you've done. Yeah, either. actually,
3: probably.
0: <laughs> so glad that we're breaking you into the gay community. <laughs> Matt, what was the gayest thing you did this week? I forgot.
2: You
1: first, girl. (laughs) I know. I'm trying to think. You knew Um, this was coming. (laughs) I know I did, and I forgot.
2: I'm just, like, still kind of (laughs) drunk.
0: Hetero is better out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The gayest
2: thing I did this week was I got a care package I guess it was a PR package from this beautiful jewelry brand called Atomic Gold, and it is a trans... Are they sponsoring us? No, but they sent I haven't seen the check. Stuff. Um, but it's a trans-owned business, and they... Fine. The I like that their, their jewelry is absolutely beautiful, but the story behind how they came about is it was... Um, I believe... It 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 was a trans individual who wanted, like, dainty jewelry. And traditional jewelry brands only go up to, like, a size 8 for rings or whatever. So, it's like, obviously, that doesn't fucking fit anyone. So, they were like, I want really pretty jewelry, even though I have big fucking knuckles. And I was like, I relate to that so fucking hardcore. So, they have beautiful, purely gold jewelry that fits everybody. And then they also have, like, very nice necklaces and very nice earrings and everything. So... Their stuff is fantastic and I love the story behind it. So go check them out. Not sponsored, Mm -hmm. truly.
0: And everyone remember to pick up this issue of Vogue magazine (laughs) where everywhere newsstands are. I'm sorry, are we
1: being sponsored by Vogue?
0: No. (laughs) We are sponsoring Vogue. And
3: also buy a subscription to the LA Phil's spring season.
2: (laughs) Okay, my favorite thing ever was like in the spring this year when it was like. LA Phil and there were like billboards everywhere for mm-hmm. the LA Phil Harmonic and I saw like multiple people being like, Who is LA Phil? Like I see him everywhere. <laughs> and I was
0: like, no, oh my god. So guys, if you don't subscribe to LA Phil and subscribe to Vogue magazine, you're homophobic. <laughs> <laughs> good night and good luck. <laughs> oh
2: Matthew, what's the case thing you did this week? Whatever, you don't you didn't do anything um, this week except read. It's fine. Gays can't read. <laughs> I know
0: participated well, in the Socratic I- method. He was a <laughs> homo.
1: This is true. Actually. Yeah. Oh my God. Ian, you're actually 100% right. a hundred percent right. It was the producer. Socratic method. That was the gayest thing I did this week.
0: Yeah. Socrates um, was a I- grade a homo.
1: <laughs> true. I got cold called in class and I straight up didn't know the answer. So I said I can't talk right now because my boyfriend is on a conference call and we're in the same room and my boyfriend's not even here. So you're a dirty round. So, yeah. <laughs> so I hope none of my professors hear that. <laughs> I, I because I actually <laughs> I actually had read the case. I just was like, Panic. I just don't know the answer. Mm. So I just typed in the chat, I can't talk right now. Um and she never responded.
0: Yeah, why didn't they say, so. can you type the answer?
2: <laughs> I
1: know. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's a great question. All right,
2: you and Sydney, where can it. everybody right. who's listening find you if you want to be found?
0: You can find me on Instagram at <laughs> Ian g Malone, and you can find me on Vogue.com. <laughs> at vogue.com slash contributor slash (laughs) ian-malone Sydney, how Um,
3: are you? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram it's s underscore Adi Damola I'll spell it We'll link it We'll put her on the
2: Instagram Uh (laughs) Put them both on the Instagram No, you should spell it (laughs) (laughs) Are you serious? I mean we'll do both. Can we throw yeah. away this entire <laughs> I
0: feel like This was a disastrous this, mistake.
1: This entire two and a half hour episode is gonna edit
0: down to like 35 minutes. <laughs> of like moderately like intelligible <laughs> and socially acceptable <laughs> things to say.
3: Uh, Alright,
0: spell your Instagram said.
3: Oh S underscore A D as in dog. E, D as in dog, A, M as in Mary, O, L, A.
2: Wait, what was it? <laughs> as in... The Virgin Mary
3: herself.
2: Yeah. D as in die. <laughs> you can find me everywhere, Aaron Idelson. A as in Aaron. A as in Aaron. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: R
1: as in victim,
0: <laughs> A as in
3: asshole,
0: Mom, how about
3: you? S as in sex
0: like homo, oh.
3: O N oh, as in OnlyFans. <laughs> <laughs>
2: What a uh, missed opportunity! If is. you can't tell, we've been recording for seventeen <laughs> hours and have had
1: no water. Matt, what are your socials? Oh my God! You can find me everywhere at Matty Roar,
2: and our Instagram for the podcast is querying the AirPod. Make sure you also like and rate us on <laughs> Apple and follow us wherever you listen to your podcast. And
0: we'll see you. And M as in Matt, <laughs> A as in air. <laughs> R as, <goodbye>. as in
1: Bye. <laughs> <laughs>